I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We're continuing our series through this uh, book of Exodus over the next couple weeks and months. And we uh, saw last week as we looked at the first chapter these themes of uh, God growing his people in the face of resistance that he allows them to encounter at points and the call to walk in the obedience that comes through faith in God as well. We saw that uh, last week, and today we will begin looking at the life of one particular man who covers the scope of the book of Exodus, that man Moses, and we'll look at how uh, God would use him, despite, as we'll see today, even missteps along the way, to allow his people to grow to allow his people to overcome and move forward in the face of resistance as Moses, just as each of us does, struggled at points to walk in obedience that comes through faith. And so we'll look at that theme from chapter 1, continuing to carry over, but we'll look at it in a particular way as we look today at the contrast, the conflict between man's way of approaching things and God's way of approaching things. And as we begin to read these verses, we should have in our minds the uh, setting of the first chapter of Exodus that we saw last week. In particular, this reality that God's people have grown to such numbers that a fearful Pharaoh has turned and focused on man's way, his way, to deal with this by eliminating the firstborn male children of the Israelites as they are born in an attempt to control this growing number of seemingly outsiders in his midst. That's the setting as we turn now to the birth of Moses in Exodus chapter 2. I'll read this uh, aloud and you read along with me. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the river bank. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket. Among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it and she opened it and saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him, said, this is one of the Hebrew children. And her sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go? And and his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, that's Moses' mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. The woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and Looked on their burdens, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And Moses said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? The man answered, 
Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs of, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them, watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you came home so quickly today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughter, Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that as we look at these verses today, you would show us the beauty of your way, Lord, and the folly of living by our way. And, Lord, in that we might rejoice in your plans for us and your plans for your people throughout all generations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look to what we might call a motherless Moses, totally dependent upon God for rescue, and look to the humbling that Moses would receive when he decided to choose his own path in life, I'm reminded of the time in my college years. It was Christmas break, my freshman year in college. I may have shared some of this story before when my friend David Norman and I traveled up to the Asheville, North Carolina area, looking at a school that he was considering attending. And we decided that while we were there with our limited climbing, rock climbing ability, and even more limited rock climbing equipment, that we would try to tackle what the locals described as one of the most impressive climbing spots in the area. Devil's Rock or Devil's Bluff or something along those lines. We drove out of Asheville, I think, at least 20 miles, then turned off. We were already in sort of a rural area, drove off into a five-mile dirt road, parked the car, hiked another mile to get to this massive face. And we decided that the way we were going to approach this is to top rope. And the reason we were going to do that is because we didn't know any other way to climb. So we decided we would approach it that way, and in order to top rope, guess what? you got to get up to the top first and then get the rope in place, and then you can climb up from the bottom and enjoy the challenge of climbing. But we didn't want to mess around with such details as trying to find a safe way around. So instead, we tried to find a pathway that looked passable right up the middle of this 
rock face. So off we went, no ropes attached, no anchor points to hold us, and up the rock face we traveled. At about 100 feet above the ground, we reached a point where we both looked around and realized that there was not a chance to get up any further easily. So my friend David looked for one way, and I began to edge out onto a ledge, now not on the somewhat safe path, but straight down below dropped me a 100 feet. And I got to a point where I was standing on about a two-inch ledge and hoped that if I lifted my body up on this 45-degree angle ledge that I could maybe find another way by sliding 20 feet this way or 20 feet that way to then progress on up and find our simple way to get to the top. Well, as I moved along this ledge, I discovered nothing except for at one end was a tall, tall, dead-looking tree that was rooted all the way down at the bottom of this uh, ground in the front of the face and was coming up just the tip of it uh, by me. We tried to figure out a way because I quickly realized that there was not much likelihood of me being able to swing back down and get my feet back on that little two-inch ledge that my friend David could throw me a rope, but he had nothing to anchor me to, so that was likely to take both of us down. And as the cold... December temperatures settled in on those North Carolina mountains, and as my left arm got increasingly tired of holding me on that 45-degree ledge, I looked to David, and we made what might have been the only smart decision we made the entire day, and I told him to go get help. Go find rescue. He climbed down the part we had come up, Watched him go off into the woods for what I knew was a mile journey to a five-mile road to at least another 20 miles. That's a long time when you sit up there waiting for rescue, when you're in that situation of realizing you've chosen your way and now you're pretty stuck. At points, I thought I heard helicopters, which seemed like they would be a good solution to my problem. Then after a season of probably a couple hours, I began to see in the now dark woods coming through a crew of at least 10 men led by my friend David coming to the face. Their lead uh, rescue guy, I guess, came up actually the same way we did, but had the uh, intelligent idea of having a rope attached to him while he did it. And then made his way across that same little ledge. As he reached out to help me, he said, now, if anything goes wrong at this point, he said, I'm going to throw this little webbing, a little piece of canvas webbing across that branch on that old tree I was telling you about. And he said, if something happens bad as we're trying to hook you into the rope, grab onto this webbing and we'll just hope that that tree will hold. About that time, as he was trying to help me down from my perch, I completely slipped. He slipped trying to grab me. And down we went, watching that tree branch like a catapult, all the way down. We were probably 30 feet above the ground and then shot us back up another 25 feet to about the middle of the face. We were able to climb down. We were able to be rescued and got to safety. My friend David still loves to tell uh, his favorite part of the story, which was when we got to the bottom and all the rescuers, thankfully they didn't tell this as they were rescuing me, informed me about all of the people year in, year out, that had attempted that exact same thing 
most of whom ended up paralyzed or no longer living. And David loves to tell the part that after seeing that, after recognizing all that I'd been rescued from, with what little funds that a college freshman has on a December trip in my wallet, I liquidated all of them, handing out dollar bills and five dollars as fast as I could to every one of these rescuers. We rejoice when we see God's rescue of us. Especially when we made foolish decisions to go down our pathway, we rejoice when we realize that somebody else has got a plan for how to get us out of that situation, even if it's not pretty. And you see in your back of your bulletin, I think, this main idea, and you can follow along if you want to with uh, this message by turning there, that because God works things out His way, not man's way, not our way, We're called to rejoice at various points in his path for us. That's the calling of these verses, I believe. As we look at these verses, you can turn with me to verse 25. And there's a setting. So we're going to start at the end of the verses and then go back to the beginning of them. Turn with me to verse 23, actually, 23, and on down through verse 25. Verse 23 tells us the situation that God's people were in as they realized their need for help, that they cried out, that they groaned. And then verse 24 and verse 25 are such a beautiful series of phrases for us when we think about God's plan for us in whatever situation we are in today. Verse 24 says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw his people. And God knew. Folks, God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. As he does those things, he has a plan for us. We're going to look at three main ways, as you see again in the back of your bulletin, as we think about a motherless Moses, we'll see the reality that God's way is good for us when we're at points of realizing we're utterly helpless. And maybe you're here today, and that's your situation in a particular area of life, of realizing I really am at the end of my rope and I need rescue. We're going to look, as we look at a murdering Moses, that God's plan is also good for us his people, even in the times when we're running headlong towards our plan. He's still working out his plan. And as we look at Moses in what I call the Midian Middle School, his time of correcting and regrouping, we're going to see as well that God's way, God's plan is being worked out and we can rejoice in it, even when we're maybe in a time of just recalibrating, of correcting, of God taking us out to the wilderness perhaps to prepare us for future things. So we're going to see those three main points, and then I hope you all track with me here because this is real important, but it, it involves a little bit of putting things together. As we look at those three points, I want you to think about three layers that are being uncovered in each one. A layer that centers around Moses and what God is doing through him. He is a redeemer of sorts of God's people. And so as we stand downstream 
from what God has done, as we stand downstream from that flow of redemption, we can look and rejoice as we read these verses just in the fact that God saved Moses. God was going to use Moses. He did mighty things in the life of Moses. So we're going to see what happens with him, and we can rejoice in that. But, of course, as we look at Moses, if we know anything about the trajectory of redeemers and kings and leaders in the Scriptures, we know that he's just a, a, a type. He's a precursor, a significant one of one who would come, of the Lord Jesus, who would be our perfect Redeemer, who would live out God's way perfectly and never turn aside to man's way and show us the fullness of God's plan. Uh, Christ, in addition, would be threatened, as we recall from Christmas time, at his own birth. He would need rescuing of sorts. He would be rejected by his own people, just as we saw that Moses was rejected. Jesus not rejected because of any fault or error on his own, but nevertheless, rejection. And we'll see as well that Jesus had a period of going out in the wilderness. And his time in the wilderness was fulfilling for us. Every season that we spend out in the wilderness, Jesus is doing, taking our place in that wilderness as well. And the last thing we'll see by way of layers here is that each of these sections that we'll look at, the motherless Moses, the murdering Moses, Moses in the Midian Middle School, has a specific application for each one of us as well, has something to say about our lives. We who have no doubt at points in our lives look back over if we're willing to examine and been plucked out of danger, plucked out of maybe physical harm, plucked out of spiritual harm. God has been watching over us and rescuing us. We who have made decisions along the way to go man's way and yet have seen that God is working out his plan. And we who have spent perhaps time in the wilderness realizing that God still has purpose for us. We're going to take a look at these verses again. Three points with those three layers. uh, Moses, the reality of Christ, and the reality of what God's doing in our own lives underneath each one of them. First, let's talk about Moses, the motherless. Moses, the motherless, of course, he's not motherless. He has a mother, but he's in a predicament where his mom can't help him. He's helpless and in need. Verse 2 begins to tell us about the predicament. She conceived, bore a a son, and then after three months, she's apparently doing everything she can to hide him, but she can't do it anymore. And uh, a global theme certainly here for us as we apply these verses to ourselves. Many of us here recognizing God's protection over us as individuals. Many of us here parents looking for God to give his protection over our children. Imagine being in her situation. She's got to put her child out there by the edge of the river. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She's got to trust God and his protection. And it brings to mind, for me at least, the words of Psalm 3. Perhaps you remember that psalm. It says, many are my foes. Many come against me. It's King David in the Davidic psalm. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And then it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, it says, and you're the lifter of my head. Times of despair, times of need and rescue, God lifts us up. Speaks of God's protection for us. Of course, we look at these 
verses. And one of the things we see is that this is certainly a situation like probably we have experienced at points in our life where Moses' mother is entirely at the end of her rope. She is at the end of her line. And maybe we're not there with a situation with our kids, although we might be. Sometimes we want to send our kids down the river. Send them on down. She's at the end of her rope in protecting her child. Maybe that's a situation for us. Others of us maybe at the end of our line in dealing with constant sins and temptation, the temptation to anxiety and fear maybe seems to overwhelm us. Some of us just consume perhaps with greed and attention to the next level that we've got to get and the material things of our world, the lust and struggles we face as we battle them. We might feel like we're really at the end of our line. Like we've got no hope. We're lying by a river. Lord, you've got to rescue us, and God's a rescuing God. We see this motherless Moses. God is watching over him. It's interesting as well, though, that as his mother puts him out there, she's not totally purposeless. Did you follow through the verses as I was reading? She is trusting God. She's at the end of her rope of what she can do to protect him, but she still puts some things in place, hasn't she? Doesn't just toss him in the mud there. She fixes up some kind of makeshift boat, it would appear, to keep him afloat so that maybe someone would find him. She goes beyond that. She sends his sister out to kind of hang out, do a little surveillance, see what happens. And then it would appear either Moses' sister is really sharp or she was primed beforehand more likely that, hey, if somebody comes along and picks him up or helps him, step in. See if we can, see if we can pull these things together. We see this happen in these verses, I, uh, I, I got a, a couple of applications for us from that. Uh, one, as we look at the intentionality of this mother here, and I know I mentioned it last week, thinking about uh, this Sanctity of Life month, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on it again in these verses. I thought last week, we think about the, the call for sanctity of life, the need for believers to stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves, that of course we recognize God's grace and forgiveness for any of us in any way that we've been involved in a situation dealing with the taking of life of an unborn child. We, we recognize that's a, that's, a, that's a reality, that's a truth, just as all of us need God's grace in all different areas that we have gone astray. But we recognize that. At the same time, we recognize, of course, the need to protect the little ones. But I want you to see here that when we fail to speak to our culture about this, it's not only about children, but it's about mothers as well. These verses show us what a mother is supposed to do. This woman does everything that she can to try to see her child saved. And so one of the reasons we speak out, regardless of the political foray, regardless of all the charge debates and so forth, is we ought to be speaking as believers because we love mothers. And we know that it goes against the grain of what a mother should be to not keep and protect her child. It's important. It's important as we look at these verses. What's beautiful in these verses as we turn from that theme, is that God brings all of this stuff together. Look at verses 8 and 9. Really, 9 is fine. Look with 9. At me with 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. 
Now, this still isn't Moses' mother's ideal situation for sure. Nobody wants to share her motherhood, and she's later on, we know, going to have to give him over in some sense. Well, look at how God brings us together. The Scriptures don't promise us that in every situation where we're at the end of our line that God is going to work things out perfectly. But in this case, it's a beautiful coming together. She's actually now getting paid to take care of her own son who she thought she was going to lose just moments before. God sometimes brings those things together, and we see here the beauty of his plan, Pharaoh's plan to eliminate these little ones, God's plan to protect Moses, that he would be a redeemer for God's people. And we see even that he's brought in to the household of Pharaoh, where presumably he's prepared and trained then later on to come back and rescue God's people. Second point I want us to look at here. Moses the murderer. Before Moses reaches that point where he can come back and be a sort of redeemer for God's people, he's going to go on a jagged path. If the start of his life is rags to riches, lying by the edge of a river, up to being in Pharaoh's house, now he's going to make some decisions as he goes man's way, not God's way, that are going to take him from riches to rags. We see that in these verses, verse 11. And following describes a situation where he sees someone, and we can sympathize with his concern. He's concerned about his own people. He wants to try to do something good, but he's taking matters into his own hands, as we often do. And we have good intentions, good purposes. We rush forward without prayer, or we rush forward without seeking wisdom from God or from friends, and we end up instead doing something harmful. He kills this Egyptian and hides him in the sand. He finds out very quickly that other people know about it. And look at what happens. You can see that Moses is a gifted leader in ways because even as he messes up here, he takes initiative. He's somebody that takes initiative. And we see later in the verses, I read the verses just so you would see this, where he goes and he's helping out the ladies by the well in Midian. These shepherds apparently must have messed with them every day because their dad's like, why have you gotten home earlier than normal? Well, this guy came along and took care of things for us. He's an initiator. We see that tendency in him. And yet he initiates here in such a way that instead of allowing him to lead, to be used, to use his gifts for God's people, it cuts him off. People can't trust him. People refuse to trust him. And we perhaps have seen that in our own lives. When we try to go down man's way instead of God's way, even maybe trying to do something good, we cut ourselves off. People in our family, people in our friendships, people in our workplace, when we make decisions to go in man's way and turn away from God's way, sometimes people won't listen to us anymore. He comes out and the people say, hey, are you gonna, what are you going to do? We're not going to follow you. We saw what you've done already. Moses' response is, of course, a similar response to us. When we face those situations, we run away or are sometimes taken away. And so the third thing I want us to look at is just the reality of this time and what I call the Midian Middle School. He's off. I call it the Midian Middle School because if you, especially Acts chapter 7 delineates, you got 40 years at the beginning of Moses' life, which is, you know, the birth and up through when he goes and murders the Egyptian here. So that's 40 years. Then we're told there's another 40 years that he actually spends out in the wilderness. And then he comes the last 40 years where he's 
you know, used by God to do this great work of redemption. So he's going to go after this and be in the Midian middle school, the middle part of his life out there. And as he's there, he's learning some important things that we perhaps have learned. Maybe facing financial setbacks because of decisions that we've made. We're in a sort of wilderness because of those decisions. Maybe we've made decisions with our family and how we're going to relate to our spouse in particular. Instead of seeking God's pathway of love, of forgiveness, of encouragement, of speaking words of kindness, we've chosen a different pathway in how we treat our spouse. And all of those, and that's taken us into a sort of wilderness in our relationship with our spouse, a sort of wilderness where we're not relating well. There's a hundred different areas of our life where we can think of our decisions, our pathway going in man's way and leading to a time period out, removed in the Midian desert. You know what's beautiful about this story, though? It doesn't say that God's going to allow us to escape those times out in the desert. It says it might very likely be the case. We make decisions. God shows grace and mercy. He forgives. But there still might be some consequences. There might be some seasons there. The beautiful thing is that there's a lot more to the story of Moses. God is not done with him yet, just like God is gracious not to be done with us yet, whether uh, we make some big decisive decision like Moses did and kill someone or whether we're making small decisions along the way and finding ourselves in smaller parts of the wilderness, we can trust that God is at work working out his plan. As we've seen in these verses, God works out his plan of rescuing us and saving us at the point of our end of our line, like the motherless Moses. God's working out his plan in our lives, even as the murdering Moses goes out and makes specific decisions that go directly against what God would have for him. And God's working out his plan for us, even as we're in the wilderness. We can rejoice in that for sure today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do uh, praise you that uh, your way and your path and your plan is perfect. And, Father, we thank you as we look back over our lives and think of manifold places where you have stepped in and rescued us, perhaps from physical harm. Certainly, Lord, you have rescued us from spiritual harm by doing a work of grace in our lives and by working sanctification in us as we seek to walk with you. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for your plan. Oh, Father, we pray that as we think and recognize your way and the beauty of it, we might become less and less prone to choose our own way. Well, Lord, we thank you that even in those places and times that you are right there with us, even in what might be a resulting wilderness, Lord, that you are right there with us and working out your plans for us. Oh, Lord, we praise you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.